This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News, your nexus for magic news. I'm Janky E. And I'm Kit Harding. Thank you for joining us. Our top story this episode comes with a rare content warning from us regarding sexual assault and harassment. Fans of Commander gameplay content may be familiar with the formerly popular gameplay channel I Hate Your Deck. Originally founded by Joseph Johnson and Michael David Lynch, Joseph left the show a few months ago and started a new one, leaving Lynch to man the show himself. Everything seemed to be fine and dandy until a recent news article mentioned him in quite a negative light. For those unfamiliar with his pedigree, Lynch is a Hollywood film director, because we all know how well that goes, in addition to all of his magic affiliation. This this article specifically called him out due to his incredibly sketchy behavior toward actress Benita Robledo during his time directing the 2016 film Dependence Day. While filming the movie, there was a nude scene scheduled that Robledo was not totally comfortable filming. When she went to Lynch with her concerns about the scene, after initial resistance to the idea of changing the script, the two came to a compromise wherein they'd filmed two versions of the scene and later decide which version went to the film's final cut. Only that's not quite what happened. Instead, Lynch just put the original scene he wanted in the film and didn't discuss it at all with Robledo until she discovered that he had used it during a private screening of the film. When she confronted him about reneging on their agreement, he began to verbally abuse her and harass her, saying that he was doing her a favor. We can't use his exact quotes here, but suffice to say, it's pretty gross stuff. It's worth noting that the scene was eventually reshot and the newer version is what made it into the final cut of the film, but still. To make matters grosser, when the article about this incident broke, Lynch's first response wasn't to acknowledge past wrongs and state that he wants to be better. Because no one ever does that. Oh no, instead it was to try classic abuser behavior and redirect blame towards the victim. In this case, he did so by sharing a video of Robledo that he kept claiming absolved him of any guilt in the situation. After about two days, he finally released what seemed to be a legitimate apology. In it, Lynch publicly admitted that his actions caused Benita a significant amount of pain and directed his apology towards her directly. He also stated that he's begun therapy and has attempted to improve his own behavior. For a while... This seemed like the type of response the community wanted in this situation. He had owned up to his actions and his behavior regarding the I Hate Your Deck series and seemed to promote inclusivity and openness. Of course, that's never the end of it. Someday I would really like it to be. Maybe in another ten years. That's what I thought ten years ago, and yet here we are. Lynch's apology was nothing more than a manipulation tactic meant to mitigate the fallout of the article. Robledo herself made a public statement regarding the incident, detailing the ways in which his actions hurt her, and actions outside of that incident through which he further hurt her. 
She also made clear that Lynch did not apologize to her in the past as he intimated, but waited until his attempts at redirecting blame and diffusing the heat generated by the article had failed. He reached out to her through email to apologize, and without knowing about the article or his statements over the days leading up to it, she decided to accept his apology. But when she inevitably found out about all the rest, as was destined to happen, she publicly rescinded her acceptance of his apology. Once her statement went public, revealing the extent of Lynch's attempts to manipulate the community, almost all the major presences who had recently been featured on I Hate Your Deck began to distance themselves from both the show and Lynch. Most of them had remained somewhat passive while trying to decide exactly where to stand. Because we as a community do so well at confronting this sort of thing. But the video testimonial she released was the nail in the coffin of their decisions. They immediately expressed their support of and belief in her story, and many of them announced right away they'd be ending any relationship with both the show and Lynch. And for once, there isn't anyone super high profile going on about how he just made a mistake. That's true. And it's not just the guests that have decided to distance themselves. Card Kingdom, Alter Sleeves, and Dragon Shield, all of whom are major sponsors of the show, have dropped their affiliation and publicly disavowed the channel. Yet another reason I'm fond of Card Kingdom. Folks, we on this podcast often say things we never thought we'd have to say. But here's another one. Do not sexually harass people. Maybe you thought we'd never have to say that. But you didn't? Let's put it this way. There's a reason it took me three tries spaced over ten years to actually stay in magic once I first got interested. Well, I hope we as a community can keep improving. This is not the type of person or behavior we want in our community, and Lynch has no one but himself to blame for these consequences. In order to bring us back to a happier place, we'll talk about new digital cardboard, so we'll let Diz take it away. Diz? Thank you, Kit. The biggest change we've seen to the game has been Alchemy Editions. Just like the first batch we saw, these are brand new digital-only cards that are exclusive to Arena and legal-only in Alchemy and Historic. They were created to provide more support to certain strategies and brought new mechanics to the format. New mechanics? Does that mean we got vehicle support? No, it doesn't. I mean, we did, as shown by Dragonfly Pilot, but that's not what I meant by my comment. Anyway, Dragonfly Pilot is a 1-1 pilot for 1 mana that conjures a copy of Dragonfly Suit into your hand when it enters the battlefield. We also see the recurring theme of pilots being able to crew as though their power was greater. Conjure still feels like such an odd ability to me. Did we get anything else that's in the same vein or the same level of oddness this go-around? Not quite, but a new ability called Intensity did join the list of digital mechanics. This is an ability that does a recurring effect, but more of it on every trigger. The prime example is Bellow's Breath Ogre, which has a starting intensity of 1. When it attacks, it can deal damage to any target equal to its intensity, and then raises its intensity by 1. And of course, three new spellbook cards were added to the group. Bosaju Pathlighter, Experimental Pilot, and Imperial Blademaster. These are all available in both packs and singles, perfectly timed to take advantage of the new economy option. But that's a story for the two of you. Jane? Thank you, Diz. 
We'll take our first break, but when we come back, we'll tell you all about that ominous ending statement from Diz. Hello, weary travelers. Have you come to the Imperial City to see the sights? Well, at Shigeki Sightseeing Services, we can help you with that. Partner with Tatsunari's Toe Taxi Service. We can get you where you want to go. Do you want to see the factory where the reality chip was made? Do you want to go to the library and hear Satsuki's Story Corner or Norika Yamazaki's Poetry Slam? Heck, maybe you just want to go on a Shintai tour and see all that life and cruelty have to offer. Light Paws the Emperor's voice themselves might even decide to come along and give you a lecture. Whatever your needs, whatever your speed, Shigeki Sightseeing Services are right for you. Come on down. Welcome back! On March 17th's weekly MTG stream, Blake Chris Musin and Magic Arena executive producer Chris Kiritz held a Q&A session about the longest-term hot-button issue with the program, its economy. The biggest complaint players have had regarding the economy of the game is that it feels predatory, with no way to recycle unwanted cards, wild cards being disproportionately difficult to attain at higher rarities, and cards that are in multiple arena formats and sets still being acquirable even after getting numerous playsets of those cards. For example, Duress. All of these together make deck building and pack opening a chore at best. Players far and wide have suggested a startlingly high number of solutions, the most common of which is a dusting system. Taken from Hearthstone, a dusting system is akin to trading in your old cards at your LGS and getting store credit for them. You throw your unwanted cards into the mana vortex, and it spits out a wild card in exchange. For once, that's an adequate analogy. Most of the suggestions involving a dusting system include a ratio of commons or uncommons to rare or mythic wildcards. Unfortunately, during the course of the Q&A session, Chris confirmed there are exactly zero plans to give the people what they want. Is there at least a good reason why not? I mean, there's a reason. The goodness is, um, debatable. It's capitalism, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Of course it is. And I presume there's a similarly capitalistic solution that's been decided upon? Yeah, yeah, there is. Fine, just tell me what it is so we can get it over with. It's the long-asked-for ability to buy wild cards for $50. Oh, is that all? It comes with 12 rares and 4 mythics per package, and an interesting fact is that ratio is not too far off from the cost of the top 8 standard decks in paper after removing all commons and uncommons. And in some cases, it's actually cheaper. It wasn't all bad news though, right? Thankfully, no. A change to the constructed events on Arena was teased, and it seems to be slated to increase prize payout, which brings it more in line with limited events. Finally! Booster prizes instead of individual cards! Exactly. 
In addition, a true-to-paper Eternal format should be on the way relatively soon, which has given more hope to those who've been pushing harder and harder for Pioneer to finally make its presence known. Overall, however, the stream did not sit well with viewers or players, giving the largest uniform outrage directed at Wizards that the community has had in quite some time. The united community we all dream of is a bit different than we dreamed it. We unite in outrage, for in outrage we are one. Outrage brings us together in shared fury as we rend flesh and soul in the service of Mojus, god of slaughter, dark twin of Eroes, pantheon of Theros! Um, Kit, are, are you being possessed right now? No. Why? Absolutely no reason. Please continue. Speaking of odd dreams and united hatred, with new Capenna on the horizon, Wizards decided to give some tips to stores for their pre-releases, including making their own equivalent of the concentrated magical substance Halo. Halo is speculated by many to be a world-themed alcohol equivalent used as a representation of the Prohibition era. But due to its powder-like form, people have drawn much more upsetting comparisons, and I'm sure our listeners can guess what that might be. Pixie sticks? No, those are just candy, if you can call pure colored sugar candy. Though it's possible you should be prohibited from having them. You're no fun. Kit, the absolute last thing you need is more sugar. Lots of players are upset at Wizards encouraging distribution, especially those with family histories of alcoholism or addiction. Numerous game stores have publicly stated they will not be participating in this unsettling suggestion, much to the relief of the aforementioned critics. I can't imagine why there are concerns. I mean, what could possibly go wrong while giving a powdered substance to youths? With that cheery thought, it's time we jump over to ISO to hear about the recent Kamigawa Neon Dynasty Championship. ISO? Thank you, Jank. The set championship was the first major tournament to have alchemy as one of its primary formats, right alongside historic. Days 1 and 2 were a mix of both formats, with day 2 leading up to a top 8 of just alchemy decks. As has been the trend the last couple of set championships, the top 8 decks were actually quite diverse. Jim Davis played Grixis Midrange, Jean-Emmanuel Depra was on Jeskai Hinata, Zach Dunn and Ji Yimi were both throwing Margaret Midrange, Johnny Gutman piloted Mono White Aggro, Eli Cassis and Brent Voss both played the newly popular Orja Adventure deck, and Yudai Miyano pulled in with Esper Clerics. After many rounds of matches in both the upper and lower brackets, Zach Dunn and Eli Cassis were in the final match. Despite their deck's colors, the outcome was anything but black and white. Dunn managed to take the first game after a long back and forth by slamming Tybalt, Cosmic Impersonator, onto the battlefield and causing Cassis to scoop. Game 2 started and ended in Cassis's favor, with much less shifting momentum and an eventual swarm of creatures leading to victory. Game 3, the match momentum switched again, with Dunn taking the first match of the best of three match finals. The second match was dramatic in its own right, but through toil and grueling persistence, Cassis was able to take victory in match 2, tying them at one win each and raising the tension of the event. This was it. The match it all came down to. Who would be victorious? Cassis or Dunn? The answer? Cassis. 
showing Orjoth Ventures to be a powerful deck and himself a skilled pilot, he was able to navigate his way to the top prize of the tournament. We'll have to wait a while to see the next major event, but there will be plenty to talk about before then. Get Thank you, Iso. Not all people were excited with the playing field of the set championship. Higher level player Andre Strasky called out the tournament for hosting the lowest overall skill level he'd ever seen at what is functionally a PT, saying the latter system led to the most persistent players rather than the best making their way to the top. This, of course, led to much discourse and anger amongst more members of the community, especially Jeff Hooglin, whom I must say I'm surprised could even see the tweets considering he blocks anyone and everyone who so much as likes or retweets a tweet disagreeing with him, myself included, and I have no idea why. It's turned him into something of a living meme in the magic Twitter sphere. He is eternally the main character of Twitter, subsumed into the matrices of the internet, Ever observed, ever treated with sarcasm. Anyway, Andre continued his commentary on the ladder system, saying there's no true reward like the old GP circuit, so those players who would normally grind out tournaments of that nature don't participate in the program that often. It's a fine line to walk, but functionally Andre was saying he wanted more of a challenge so his losses wouldn't just be to dumb luck and variance. It came across rougher than he intended, and he later acknowledged that fact and apologized for it. Regardless, this is yet another sign of the competitive community's dissatisfaction with the current state of competitive play. It's just about time for our second break, and when we come back, it'll be time for another news bruise, as well as news about one of the most, if not flat-out most, successful magic-related Kickstarters of all time. Hey listeners, Jank E here. Have you been able to support small businesses this year? I know that I haven't as much as I would like. But one small business that I can definitely say deserves your support is Infinitokens. You've heard us talk about them numerous times on the show. You've even heard them interview with us before. This is not a sponsored commercial because they still are not able to sponsor people. But that's fine. We just really think they're neat, and we think that they deserve more support. So go out there to their Etsy shop, order yourself some tokens, some of the little counter tokens, whatever it takes. They've got great deals, great packages. And while it's too late for you to get them for someone's Christmas gift, someone's birthday has to be right around the corner. Valentine's Day is only in two months. Go support Infinite Tokens, like they support the community. Welcome back. It's time for another News Brews. And this edition of News Brews, I am joined by McCray. McCray, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hello, I'm so glad to be here. Much it much. is our pleasure to have you. Uh, first off, let's get started. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do in relation to magic? Uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm a writer, so I have a website, but my magic show that I do on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. PST is called The Brewery. It's over at twitch.tv slash TheBreweryMTG. And we brew, we aim for about a seven. I know power scales are all over the place these days, but 
Um, we shoot for about a seven and we brew on a janky theme every week. So every single week we are brewing new decks to fit some sort of theme. Our theme for uh, this week, for example, is rainbow. Hmm. Yeah, Sounds that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of rainbow, you brought one of your decks from that. Th you brought a deck from that theme uh, with you to talk about. So who is the commander for this one? Yes. So this one is an interesting one. I This is one of my favorite decks of all time. I built a number of different versions of it, but it, the commander is Horde of Notions. So it is elemental tribal with a couple of twists. Uh, the first being that I actually run a companion with this deck, uh, good old Gigantha the Wellspring. Because in case a lot of people haven't read Gigantha's creature type, it is an elemental elk. <laughs> so <laughs> it actually slots in quite well uh, and gave me a... Um, the ability to just dump out Gigantha and immediately play my commander and his ability. Um, but also it gave me some fun deck building constructions because as Gigantha states, you can't have any double mana symbols in your deck. So every single card in this deck is a single pip card or um, a gold card with multiple colors. Huh. That is an interesting yeah, restriction to give yourself. I like that. All right. Uh, I love so companions. what is like, the Just meat? as, you know, fuel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so ahead. what is the meat and potatoes for this deck for you? What's what's the real core of it? Um, the great thing about this deck is that it's a little bit of a toolbox deck. So the, the meat and potatoes are elementals. It has a lot of the classic value engines. It's got the Risen Reef. It's got the Flamekin Harbinger. It's got, you know, the Bright Hearth Banner. All the, the basic, you know, meat and potatoes cards you would expect in an elementals tribal deck are there. Um, there's a couple of outliers, but for the most part, they're all like super good value elementals. And because elementals are probably the most diverse tribe in magic, I'd say, um, a lot of the abilities are either ETB effects or leave the battlefield effects. So this is actually a deck that wants to build a lot of board presence, um, in terms of sick value, just, you know, playing elementals, getting ETBs, leave the battlefield triggers, etc. Um, but then I've pivoted the deck a little bit to be a flicker deck on the side. <laughs> so in addition to being a graveyard deck and playing it in my graveyard with Horde of Notions with all sorts of cheeky things like the crib swap, Horde of Notions interaction, etc. Um, and, you know, the classic stuff you expect, like Coat of Arms, Shared Animosity to just like close the games out. Um, it, it runs a ton of flicker, everything from Mist Meadow Witch that can flicker itself to... Um, you know, the standard Conjurer's Closet, Teleportation Circle, Nuthasa, and all of the uh, cards that are instant speed that flicker your entire board. So you always have, you know, a ton of value on board. People want to wipe the board quite a, quite a bit with this deck. And so you just like have it on hand so that you can flicker stuff, get value from the ETB and LTB effects, and then immediately just have your board back. Um, it's pretty <laughs> cheeky. So the deck wants to just jam value and then try and dodge as many board wipes as it possibly can while I hopefully turn sideways and kill you with elementals. Sounds like a fairly straightforward plan. Uh, what are some of the veggies that really just yeah. kind of help grease the wheels on this? Oh, baby. Um, there's a bunch of new fun tech <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> well, and some of it is old. Some of the best tech in the deck is, is some of the old Lorwyn stuff. So ooh, I, ooh. I personally love Lorwyn as a set. Um, just the flavor of that set being, you know, like old Celtic mythologies mm -hmm. and, and UK based um, old folk tales and stuff. Uh, and the idea of elementals as ideas, less that, you know, the standard tree dudes and volcano 
you know, rock guys, etc. Um, Lorwyn really took what elementals were and were like, hey, what if uh, what if we made like a five color the commander for elementals that's just really good at hitting hard, it gives graveyard recursion, and it's also just a bunch of ideas. It's literally a <laughs> horde of notions. <laughs> Um, so, you know, the commander is one of my favorite cards in the deck, but the veggies are definitely all the fun little toolbox ones like Wisp Mare, destroy target enchantment. And they all have evoke costs a lot of the time. Uh, Foundation Breaker is a great, uh, piece of removal that just got printed in Modern Horizons 2, for example, or maybe Modern Horizons 1, I can't remember. Um, and then of course I've got all the fun, you know, flare stuff, like two of the four Omnaths. Um, I've got Sting Moggy, which is the oldest, baddest elemental you can possibly have. Uh, but it works great in a flicker deck because it comes into play with counters. You pay for, you remove a counter and you destroy target artifact or land. I'm sorry. I've got, I've got to pause you baddest or worst. Yep. Um, mm, mm, it's, it's actually pretty good in this deck because what you do is you throw it down for four as a two, two. And then you remove a counter and then just flicker it and it comes back with two counters again. So it's actually recurrable uh, artifact destruction is what I use it for. Um, some other kind of veggie cards are like Lord of Extinction. Lord of Extinction is a great commander card. He's been around forever. He's been reprinted uh, once or twice now, I think. So he's down in price. Uh, you know, five mana, his power and toughness are each equal to all cards and graveyards, period. But he's also right. an elemental. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, yeah, convenient. And, you know, other fun little cheeky veggie cards like Yarok the Desecrated. Well, guess what? He's an elemental that doubles your ETB effects. So obviously an auto include in this deck. Of um, course. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some other kind of flare stuff like R shards, elemental bond, etc. that really kind of add to that meat and potatoes of like the deck wants elementals to be coming and going and it wants the board to be full. So what you're saying is you built a five color mm. elemental themed control deck because that's what it sounds like. It's got a lot of answers. Um, unfortunately, the meta of our show on the brewery, the power creep is real. We started at like a six and it's I think it's closer. You know, we, we shoot for a seven. It's probably closer to an eight, I would say. Um, so I tend to pack a ton of removal effects, uh, both spot removal and board wipes as I can. <laughs> Um, to kind of mitigate my own damn meta, <laughs> which you know, <laughs> it makes the deck have staying power, but you know, it's a pretty fearsome deck for a janky five color slow to build, you know, but once it gets rolling, it's kind of like a freight train. <laughs> Always fun. Okay. So what would you consider your personal touch, your, your particular spice or sweetness to the deck that really just kind of drives it home and makes it unique as opposed to any other given horde of notions deck. Oh baby. Uh, there's a lot of pet cards in here. So the two Omnaths I already mentioned, um, mm. I've played on mass Omnaths since, you know, old Zendikar. I loved OG Omnath. <laughs> um, but in addition, there's uh, good old Animar. So they're, they're all elementals. But there are decks that I've built commanders around before. So Animar was actually my first ever commander deck back in oh, 2011, 2013, whenever he was printed. Mm -hmm. um, and he was a, a big, fat Hydra tribal commander back in the day. So a little bit of a pet card, a little bit of a flare card. You know, is Animar a good card? Yes, he is. Pro white, pro black, he grows, he discounts your stuff. But there's just nostalgia every time I jam him and get to turn him sideways to try and kill people. Oh, mm -hmm. it feels so good. 
Reminds of me of the good old days, Commander. <laughs> How could it not? <laughs> Ten years ago, mind you. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the coat of arms. Like, you know, it's always fun to jam a coat of arms and turn sideways. Oh, yeah. No, coat of arms is a... Uh, that's when math really is for blockers because you don't want to count anymore, so you just make them do it for you. Exactly. Can you survive this? Turn sideways. <laughs> of course. All right, so you built, uh, you said, numerous versions of this deck overall, and this is just the most recent iteration. Yes, I have. Uh, with a very yeah w with a little bit more of a value theme to it is there any particular thing or synergy you have in mind for this deck that you would really like to see pop off i've never been able to properly flicker a full board um so i have four or five cards that are instants that are three or four mana and they basically either let you choose um, creatures from your board or they flicker your entire board and they return them at end step. So great for dodging boards and stuff. But the dream with this deck is to have at least five or six creatures on board with sick ETB or leave the battlefield effects and be able to dodge something ridiculous and also get a bunch of value from it. Um, well, of course. <laughs> this deck seems to be great at just accruing value over time. But really being able to stick a board and then dodge a board wipe would be amazing. <laughs> have something solid and catch him off guard with that mass flicker. Exactly. I'm usually a pretty board um, presence heavy player. I tend to like to jam a lot of Rube, you know, Goldberg style machines. Yeah, of course. Uh, this is definitely one, but <laughs> it's always fun to have cards in hand, you know, to, and just be waiting. <laughs> <laughs> of definitely course. A, I mean, a bit what of else are you do, right? But yeah. All right. Well, uh, that just about brings us to a close. So why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Uh, awesome. You can find all of my writing stuff at McCrayWrites.com. M-C-R-A-E, writes as in with a pen.com. I uh, got a whole bunch of poetry and various prose um, of both the fictional and non-fictional varieties um, and lots of fun stuff. And as I said at the start of the show um, or top of the segment, uh, the brewery is live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. PST on twitch.tv slash thebrewerymtg if you want to see me get my um, poop pushed in by my buddies because I'm always losing on that show. I don't think I've won a single time, <laughs> <laughs> at least on our uh, eight, season, eight episodes back, I should say. Um, yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been great. It's been great having you. Uh, don't forget to tell them about your Twitter. Oh, yes. I'm also on all the social medias. It's McCrayWrites. Pretty much everywhere. <laughs> uh, Instagram, TikTok, I don't know, uh, Twitter, etc. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank yeah. you again for joining us. McCray's decklist will be in the show notes. Our final story. The professor of Tolarian Community College has long been referred to as the expert on card game accessory quality. Known for his rigorous tests, he puts any deck box, card sleeve, and playmat to the test and grades them in true academic fashion. Well, after all that time testing, scoring, and grading, the prof has decided to dabble in one final avenue. Building! On March 15th, a Kickstarter went live in which he introduced his new deck box, the Academic XL, to the world. Collaborating with Gamergenic, the prof built not just a deck box, 
but expectations. The community showed this by blasting through the initial goals, raising $850,000 in just five hours. And it's only continued to climb. At time of recording, it's broken through $1.66 million with three weeks left to go. So many stretch goals have been blasted through, with the next set at $1.75 million for exclusive tokens, and it seems likely we'll get there. Do you think this would be overkill for someone who mostly plays limited? Well, you'll have an excuse to get into Commander, if nothing else. Ah yes, Commander, whereupon someday I may yet join you upon the stream once I learn to play it. And I suppose if you say that often enough, it will actually happen. We shall see. That's all this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.